Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Baptisms and, and obviously five this morning and just what a blessing, what a neat thing God is doing in the hearts of our people and these children and we just we praise the Lord for all He's done and all He's going to do. Let me pray for us and we're going to begin this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity again to gather, or just to join our hearts together in worship and in prayer and in studying Your Word. Father, I thank you for these baptisms, these five souls, Lord, this morning that has celebrated that have celebrated peace and hope and salvation that they found in Jesus Christ, Lord. And so we just thank you for what you've done. We, we thank you that this is a day of celebration, Lord. We just praise your name for what you've done and what you're going to continue to do. Father, just use us. Just, just empty our hearts of our desires. Fill us instead with the power of your spirit just to hear from you and to trust you and to do the things you've called us to do. And now be with us, Father, as we open the truth of your word. Let it speak to us. Lord, let it challenge us, convict us, change us. And through the power of your spirit, Father, as we pray every Sunday morning, may we be transformed more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. If you did not bring your Bible with you, there should be one in a chair in front of you or very near where you're sitting. You're welcome to borrow that. I'm on page 845 this morning. That's Mark chapter 10, 845. If you want to follow along with us, we'd love for you to do that. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms here. We're excited for you. We pray that today would be a, a day of uh, joy and peace and that your kids would behave all afternoon. Amen? Okay, good. That's what I'm praying for in my house. <laughs> no, I started this week thinking about Mother's Day and, and obviously having moms on my mind. I'm, I'm Married to a mother, we have four children, and I understand because I see it up close and personal. Motherhood is, is probably one of the most difficult, but maybe one of the most joyful careers or jobs you can ever have, moms. And so we applaud you for what you do, for all the countless hours, the work you put in when nobody else knows what you do and the way in which you raise your children. And I just thank you for what you've done, and I pray today would be a really good day for you, just a day of, of joy and rest. And I started thinking this week, Monday morning, about what I wanted to preach and, and praying and, and thinking through it, and, and I kind of had in mind I'd do a, a kind of a specific <clears throat> sermon just for Mother's Day, but the more I prayed about it and thought about it, the Lord just kept leading me back to Mark chapter 10, which is where we are in, in our study. We're going through the book of Mark, if you're new with us this morning. And I just kept being led back to Mark chapter 10, and so as I started reading Mark and, and thinking about Mark chapter 10, the Lord kind of showed me, man, this would be a great message to preach to our moms this morning. And so I'm going to give you just a little bit of background first because I want you to see where we've come from to help us understand where we're going to go. Then we're going to jump right into Mark chapter 10. And I hope the Lord speaks to you moms and dads this morning especially from Mark chapter 10. But Mark chapter 9, I preached a couple of weeks ago. And by the way, thank you to John Oliver for preaching last week. John did a fantastic job. It's a blessing for me to be able to step away. I did a wedding out of town last week and a nephew uh, in, in Athens, and it was a great weekend with family. We had a really good time, but it's a privilege to be able to step away and know that I've got people 
on my team who can stand in this pulpit and rightly proclaim the Word of God. John did that. So thanks to him for all he did. But two weeks ago, I preached in Mark chapter 9. I preached the transfiguration. Christ goes up on the mountain. Uh, God the Father speaks through the cloud. His face is transfigured. He's shining brighter than the sun. Then he comes down off the mountain. He's going to heal a young boy, a demon-possessed boy. And then he's going to do something in Mark chapter 9, verse 30 for the second time. Now, I want you to look with me, if you have your Bibles right there, at Mark chapter 9, verse 30. Let me just remind you that Jesus, in Mark chapter 8, has already kind of explained to his followers the reason he's come to earth. They've been walking around with him. Miraculous things have been happening. He's been healing people, walking on water, feeding people. But in Mark chapter 8, he gives them the first indication of his purpose for coming. And he basically says, listen, I'm going to be arrested crucified, rise again. If you're willing to follow me, he says, you've got to be willing to take up your cross daily and come after me. He says that to them in Mark chapter 8. Now in Mark chapter 9, verse 30, just after he's come down from the transfiguration, just after he's healed the demon-possessed boy, he says this, Mark chapter 9, verse 30. They went on from there and they passed through Galilee and he did not want anyone to know for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, here it is, this is the second time he does this, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid To ask him. This is the second time, the second confession of Christ, where he explains to his disciples exactly what's about to happen to him. Mark chapter 10, verse 33, is the third time. So he does it three different times. In the Bible that I have at home that I like to read out of and kind of study out of, I've got that marked. Mark chapter 8 is one, number one. Mark chapter 9, number two. Mark chapter 10, number three. Three different times Jesus explains to his followers what's going to happen. Now, so we need to understand this is the context of this. Jesus has explained what he's going to do, how he's got to suffer, and he's explained to his followers, listen, because of my suffering, because of what I'm going to do, you've got to be willing now to take up your cross, sacrifice for yourself, say no to yourself, deny yourself, and follow me. So really, the remainder of Mark chapter 9 and all of Mark chapter 10 are about following Jesus. Like, how can we practically follow Jesus? As Jesus says, listen, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. What does that look like? Now, this is why it's important for us this morning on Mother's Day. As I started really looking through and praying through and studying through Mark chapter 10, Mark is going to give us kind of three different areas of discipleship, three different areas that we need to follow and think about Christ. Here are the three areas. Let me just kind of give you the summary, then we're going to go back through it together. In Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, Christ is going to talk about marriage. In Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, Christ is going to talk about children. In Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, Christ is going to talk about possessions. So Jesus teaches his followers about following him with their marriage, with their children, with their possessions. I don't think there could be a better Mother's Day sermon. Moms, we deal with these things on a regular basis, don't we? We try to figure out on a regular basis, listen, how can I serve Christ in the middle of this chaos with my children? Like, how can I figure out a way to serve Christ in the middle of my marriage? How can I figure out a way to serve Christ with my possessions? And so let me just say this to you, moms, I want to kind of gear this towards you and really challenge you, and really dads too, y'all just go hand in hand in the the family. But to moms especially, let let me just say this, if you're single, maybe you're not married, 
you don't have kids yet, this is a great opportunity for you to begin to formulate in your mind, once you're married, once you have kids, what your life is going to be like. Like once I'm married one day, once I one day have children, how can I put Christ at the center of my marriage, of my home, with my children, with my possessions? So Mark chapter 10, beginning in 1, let's just jump right in. We have it on the screen. You can follow along as well. Speaking of Jesus, and he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Remember, Jesus at this point is making his way south to Jerusalem. If you were to look at a map of Israel, Sea of Galilee is to the north. The Jordan River runs south to the Dead Sea. Jesus is now leaving the area around Galilee. That's where he did most of his ministry. He's heading south towards Jerusalem. He's going to cross over the Jordan River in verse 1. He's walking to Jerusalem for the final time. And again, verse 1, as was his custom, he taught them. Verse 2. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, right, they're trying to trick him, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But, verse 6, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's stop there because there's a lot in there. There's a lot we could say. There's a lot we could teach. I want to kind of walk through it together and help you understand exactly what Jesus is saying. But I want to give you kind of the main truth of this passage. And then we'll kind of think through it together verse by verse. Here's the first truth I want you to see this morning. Number one, marriage was instituted by God and should last a lifetime. Marriage was instituted by God and should last a lifetime. Now, most Bibles have headings, right? So different sections of Scripture have different headings. And if you're looking in your Bible, you probably see a heading right above chapter 10. Mine says, Teaching About Divorce. Now, understand why they've headed to that. And by the way, just a little bit of biblical information, a little bit of biblical knowledge here. The headings were created by men. Right? Not by the Lord. The headings are not part of the original text. This is just a way for us to better divide it out and to better understand it. And so they've titled it, in my Bible at least, Teaching About Divorce. And I understand why they do that, because the Pharisees have gone and they've asked Jesus a specific question about divorce. And what we have to understand is in the first century, the Jewish people understood the Old Testament law, and they could divorce based on anything. Any small little reason gave them the ability to divorce. And Jesus said to them, what does Moses say? And he said this to you, Jesus says, because your hearts were hardened. In other words, you were just looking for excuses. You were looking for reasons to get out of this marriage. I would say to you, maybe a better title for this section is marriage. Because Jesus has asked the question about divorce, but instead of spending a lot of time thinking about divorce, Jesus goes to the heart of what a biblical marriage ought to look like. So you ask about divorce, Jesus said to the Pharisees. Let me explain to you instead what a true biblical marriage looks like. It begins in verse 6. Let's look at it again, Mark chapter 10, verse 6. Jesus is going to give us a lot in here. He said, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. 
What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now there's some teaching in here about marriage that I want you to get. I don't really ever want to miss an opportunity to teach about biblical marriage. And so I just want you to see kind of three sub points or kind of sub ideas here under this idea of marriage that Jesus is teaching to these religious leaders. Here's the first one. Marriage, Jesus says, was God's idea from the beginning. Now, just a, a, a shocker to some of you, the government did not come up with marriage. Did you know that? It wasn't their idea. Right? It wasn't some person's idea. It wasn't some king's idea or some ruler's idea. It wasn't even some pastor's idea. Jesus says, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Like Jesus wants them to understand, listen, this is God's idea. This is God's creation. And because God ordained, because it's God's idea, God and God alone can speak into it and explain it to us and help us figure out exactly what marriage ought to look like. So if you're ever curious what a good marriage ought to look like, how you live, need to live your life, how you should treat your husband or your wife, you can go no farther than God's Word because it explains it all in here. Just a very beautiful picture of what marriage ought to look like. So Jesus helps us to see, listen, marriage from the beginning was God's idea. And then he gives us this interesting little phrase here in verse 6. He says, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Here's kind of the second truth. Marriage has always been between one man and one woman. Now, this sermon is not some political sermon. I don't ever do those kinds of sermons. If you've been here for any length of time, you know I don't ever delve into that kind of stuff. It's not my place to do it. I want to teach God's Word. But what I did about a year ago is I answered some difficult questions that our society struggles with. We called it tension. And we answered all these hot-button issues, these topics. And one of them was about marriage, and we talked about that. And I'd love for you to go and re-listen to that sermon if you want to. It's all on our website, and you can listen to the podcast. But the Bible is, is very clear about marriage. And, and my intent is not to spend a lot of time this morning addressing all the ways that society redefines marriage. But I want to warn you, you need to understand this. There are people in our society that have a different view about marriage. And, and that's their prerogative. But I would say to you as followers of Jesus Christ, if we're serious about our faith and serious about our wall, we, we can allow the people of the world to say whatever they want to say. That's between them and God. But we need to make decisions and we need to speak and understand based on God's word and based on his truth. And when we say as believers, listen, marriage is between one man and one woman, that's not a popular thing to say nowadays. right? In a society that, that seems to be more and more anti-Christian, this is going to be a harder and harder position to take. It's going to be less and less popular. It's not going to be easy. But as followers of Christ, we, we've kind of kind of uh, steel ourselves to the idea that we're willing to stand on the truth of the gospel regardless of what it costs us in the world. Do you understand that? And that's a difficult place for us to be sometimes. But Jesus gives us kind of this real clear picture. And, and then he does something in verse 9 of Mark 10 I want you to see. He says, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Right? In other words, this is God's idea. He created it. He created men and women. He created the institution of marriage. It's his idea from the beginning. Therefore, because God has done all this, he's joined people together, let not man separate. So the third sub-point we see here is that marriage is for life. I had a, 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 a sweet lady walk up to me after the 830 service this morning. And she said, Adam, I've been divorced. I'm remarried. What do I do with this teaching? Now, there's a, a thousand things I could say about that. And by the way, if you want to get into specifics, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you. But here's the simple answer. There is forgiveness in Christ. Okay? 
there's absolute forgiveness in Christ. The blood of Christ covers all of our sins and all of our baggage and all of our past. He doesn't pick and choose things. So if you've been down that road, maybe you've divorced and remarried, you can't change the past. Right? We understand Christ forgives, and I'd love to explain that to you in more detail. But here's what I told this lady. All that is behind you. Here's what you need to do right now. If you're married currently, and she is, I said, you need to do the best you can to live your life and to live your marriage based on the teaching of Christ right here. Right, figure out how to be Christ-like in your marriage right now. Figure out how to love your husband just like Christ commands in Scripture. Figure out what you can do right now. Don't worry so much about the past. Instead, worry about how you live your life now and how you can live your life for Christ in your marriage based on his teaching. Because we, we live in a society that basically says to us, listen, if, if something goes wrong, you're, you're just more than welcome to get out and to find somebody else and just to kind of move on. And I would say to you, I know that's a struggle. I know it's a difficult topic for a lot of people to see. And we come to these parts of Scripture. Sometimes it's uncomfortable for us. But I would say to you, there's hope in Christ. There's forgiveness in Christ. And wherever you have been, looking ahead, follow him, seek him, trust him in all things. And Jesus says, listen, if you're married now, you need to stay married. If you're currently thinking about getting married, you need to stay married once you get married. You need to make sure this is God's plan, this is God's will, you're willing to follow him because he gives us some very interesting ideas here in these verses. He talks about men and women and, and the husband leaving the house and leaving the mother and father and holding fast to his wife. And then he says in verse 8, the two shall become one flesh. All right, they're no longer two, but they're one. One scholar explained it like this. I love the way he said it. He said, in marriage, God brings a husband and a wife together in a unique physical and spiritual bond that reaches to the very depths of their souls. As God designed it, marriage is to be the welding of two people together into one unit. The blending of two minds, two wills, two sets of emotions, two spirits is a bond the Lord intends to be indissoluble as long as both partners are alive. And so we kind of start thinking to ourselves, okay, great, right? The, 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 the importance of teaching and, and especially teaching from the pulpit is kind of the so what question. Like we can talk about the truth and we can talk about what Christ says, but the real question is what do we do with this now? Like how do we figure out how to live our lives based on this? And so just a, a couple of very quick points of application before we move on. If you're in a marriage, stay in the marriage. That's truth number one, very simply. If you're struggling in your marriage, there is hope for you, I promise. I will speak to you. I can partner you with somebody on my staff. I can partner you up with people that have been married for a number of years that would love to talk to you. Because if, if you haven't figured this out, if you're younger maybe and either you're married now or you're thinking about getting married, if you haven't figured this out yet, marriage is not all that easy, right? I'm going to say a lot of good things because my wife's not here. She was at 930. I couldn't say it. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to say anything bad. <laughs> marriage is not easy. We know that. Like if you have this misconception that you're going to wake up every morning and just be madly in love with your spouse, you're missing it. Right? There are plenty of mornings Amy wakes up and is not madly in love with me, I promise. Like all the thoughts you have about marriage and all the birds singing and chirping, that lasts for a little while and then reality sets in and you realize their breast stinks early in the morning and maybe you don't want to roll over next to them. Or if you're like me, you snore. And there's all kinds of things you begin to learn, Right? But here's what you have to figure out. Listen, I've been called, I'm speaking for me and my marriage, I've been called by the Lord to love my wife, to sacrifice for my wife. I made a commitment for her and the Lord. I'm going to stick to that. 
And if things go bad or we have problems, there's no shame in having problems in marriage. There is shame in not fixing them. It always bothers me when couples come to me and they want marital counseling. Oftentimes they've gone so far down the path. They've burned so many bridges. They've said so many mean things to each other that reconciliation is almost impossible. Like if you're struggling, we'd love to get you help. But I'm going to give you just a little, a little tip here and then we've got to move on to this next section. If you're struggling in your marriage, here's the first tip. Work on your walk with Christ first. Just start there. Because I'm telling you what typically happens is the husband wants to tell me all the problems the wife has. And then the wife, in turn, tells me all the problems the husband has. And by the way, they're probably both right. But if you really want to fix your marriage, begin with yourself. Figure out how to live for Christ. Figure out how to be Christ-like. Figure out how to be holy before the Lord, and you're going to be amazed at how your marriage is going to begin to change. Right, so Jesus gives us a lot of truth about marriage. Let's continue. Look at verse 13. We've got to keep going here. Marriage, the, the fabric of families. Next is going to be children. And they were bringing children to him. This is Jesus, that he might touch them, right? So these people are bringing their kids to Jesus so he can touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. Isn't that interesting? Get out of here. I, I told our last service, in other countries, this is true, they go, that's what they do to children. Get out of here. Don't come to Jesus. He doesn't have time. Verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was what? Indignant, like very angry about this. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Here's truth number two. It's all about children, right? Christ cares deeply for children, so should we. Christ cares deeply for children, so should we. We. Now, there's a lot of interesting research about children. And George Barna, if you don't know who George Barna is, you ought to look him up. It'd be worth your while. He's a Christian researcher. He does a lot of research on families and Christianity and society right now, especially. And he's done a, done a lot of research on the spiritual development of children, which is interesting to me. I have four kids. And he says something that's kind of fascinating to me. And I, I learned it years ago, thank goodness, while my kids were still young. Because a lot of people kind of have the mindset listen, when my kids are, and churches sometimes fall into this trap. They say when the kids are really young, you know, like um, preschool, first, second, third grade, when they're really young, it's really just about babysitting. Let's just make sure they're okay and healthy and, and everybody gets home safe. And then when they get to a certain age, 10, 11, 12, then we're really going to dig in with them, start teaching them God's Word, and start trying to help them understand how to live for Christ. But what research says instead is by the time a kid reaches the age of 12, they're just about set in what they believe. Now, here's what George Barna says. I'm going to quote him. He says, A majority of Americans make a lasting determination about the personal significance of Christ's death and resurrection by age 12. Now, he elaborates on that. That's just one little sentence. He elaborates in his books, and he basically says, Listen, by the time a kid is 12, he's pretty much made up his mind about what he thinks about Jesus. After 12, there are some changes sometimes, and kids can certainly grow in their faith. But by the time a kid gets to 12, if they haven't kind of understood it, they don't quite get it at this point, there's a much less lower chance that they're going to change their mind 13, 14, and on up. And so for me, when I first read this many years ago, it just kind of like a lightning bolt in my brain. Man, i, I got to do something about my kids now. Like, I can't wait till next week or next month or next year, wait till they're 10 or 12 or 14 or 16 when I think they're old enough to understand. I need to be instilling within their hearts from day one the things of the Lord. 
And so just some practical things I want to give you. I want to give you three practical ways based on this teaching, based on what Christ says we can lead our children. The first one, let your children come to Christ. Don't hinder them. Right? Remember, the, the children in Mark chapter 10 are trying to come to Jesus, and the disciples are rebuking them. And Jesus says, this is exactly what he says, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Man, believe it or not, parents, your kids can't come to church or grow up learning about Christ if you don't lead them there. Did you know that? And I just fear that there, there are far too many believers that have hindered their kids from coming to Christ. Like every time you make a decision, and look, I'm not opposed to vacations or lake houses. I, and you know, I don't stand up here and rail against this stuff. But every time you decide not to come to church for whatever reason, you've taught your kids something. Did you know that? Every time you decide we're not going to have a prayer as a family before a meal, you've taught your kids something. Every time you choose not to spend any time in God's Word in front of your family, you've taught your kids something. I mean, every time you speak harshly to your wife, you've taught your kids something. Did you know that? Because these are little sponges, man, and you know it as well as I do. With little kids, they soak up everything. They may not say anything about it. You may not think they're paying attention. They may just be playing their little game or on the floor, but I'm telling you, they're hearing and they're learning and you're teaching. And so we, we need to be very careful that we don't allow our actions in some way to hinder our children from coming to the Lord. Because the second thing I want you to see, and we find this all through Scripture, is we should raise our children in a Christian home. Now, there are all sorts of Bible verses, and I've got a bunch here. I don't have time to read all of them, but I want to give you just a, a little taste, just a little taste of a few of the verses in Scripture that teach about the importance of parents raising their children in the godly home. Just, just a couple of verses here. Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, speaking of Abraham. This is the Lord speaking. For I have chosen him, this is Abraham, so that, listen to why God chose him, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 10, talking to the people, the Lord says, Assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land, and may teach them to their children. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, the famous saying of Joshua, As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Psalm chapter 78, verse 5, He decreed statues for Jacob, and establish the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. Proverbs 1, verse 8. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. On and on and on this goes, right? There, there are just numerous verses in Scripture that speak about the importance of parents raising their children in a godly home. There are all sorts of verses that kind of put the responsibility right at our feet that we should teach our children the things of the Lord. Amy and I have kind of always said really from the beginning, listen, we wanted our kids to be successful, go to school, get a career, job, all the things parents think about for their children. We, we The same way. But we have said from the beginning, paramount, and, and the utmost important, if none of those other things work, we want our kids to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That was always our goal. I can remember distinctly putting my kids in their crib when they were little, and praying over them, Lord, I pray that they would love you all the days of their life and they would love you with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I prayed that for them night after night after night. I still pray it for them. I want all those other things. I'm not anti those other things, but I'm just saying to you, my calling as a dad is not how good of a job my daughter gets. It's not how popular she is in society. 
My calling as a father is to teach my daughters and my son to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's all through Scripture. And far too many of us have hindered our children from doing that, either because our walk isn't strong enough or we've made decisions detrimental to our family. And some of us need to wake up. It's a clear teaching in Scripture of how we raise our children. And then the third thing, we need to wind this down, the third kind of practical idea for our families, we need to be praying for them. Right? Don't hinder them from coming to the Lord, raising them in a Christian home, and praying for our families, praying for our children. I've said this before, but the Lord kind of reminds me of this on a pretty regular basis. If I'm, here's what it is. Here's what, here's what it reminds me of. If I'm not praying for my kids, probably nobody else is either. Because y'all are busy with your own life. You've got your own kids and your own issues and your own things you're praying for. You're probably not sitting up late at night praying about my children. And so if I'm not praying for them, there's a real chance that nobody else is either. And we need to be on our knees before the Lord, praying for our children, praying for our spouse, praying for our marriage. So God's given us this just real clear picture of marriage. Here's what a godly marriage looks like. Right? Here's the importance of raising godly children in a home. All this is just great Mother's Day stuff, right? Good things for fathers too. Godly home, godly marriage. And then maybe the, the most challenging in the society we live in, beginning in verse 17 of Mark chapter 10, I want you to listen to what Christ says. So as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and he asked him, right? He's asking Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother, right? He's quoting the Old Testament. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. See the compassion there? And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Here's the third truth I want you to see this morning. We must use our possessions for the glory of the Lord. Right? Our marriages should demonstrate the glory of the Lord. The way we raise our children should demonstrate the glory of the Lord. And our possessions should also demonstrate the glory of the Lord. Here's what Jesus wants us to understand. Discipleship involves cost. Now, don't walk out of here and, and tweet out that Pastor Adam said, I need to sell all my possessions and give them to the poor. I didn't say that. Christ said it. And he said it to one particular guy. Now, he may or may not be saying that to you, right? He might be, but that's between you and the Lord. But here's the, the main point of truth. Here's the main point of application. We have got to be willing to give up whatever hinders us from understanding and serving the Lord in order to follow him. Whatever, for this man, it was riches, right? Jesus understood that this, this guy's money is hindering him from actually being a true follower of Christ. He needs to give those up, then he can follow me. For you, it's probably something different. That's between you and the Lord. For me, it's something else. But we've, we've got to come to this place in our marriages and, and raising our children and our possessions, work, whatever it looks like. We've got to come to this place in our lives where we say, listen, I'm willing to forsake everything in the world for the sake of the gospel. Christ, I'm willing to give up whatever for you. Because a life lived in holiness and faithfulness and obedience to Christ is greater than anything the world can ever give us. And so Jesus wants us to understand, listen, it doesn't matter where you've been, like what baggage you bring to this moment, 
why you're here. None of that stuff matters because all we can do at this point is move forward. And Jesus says, listen, you, you need to be willing to give up whatever it takes in your marriage, with your children, with your job, with your possession, with whatever. Whatever you need to do, you need to be willing to give up your possessions for the sake of the gospel because when you do that, God is going to bless you He's going to use you, and he's going to receive honor and glory. There is a beautiful path for you out there that Christ has laid out. You simply have to be willing to follow it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this just beautiful picture in Mark chapter 10, Lord, that just really challenges us, challenges us in, in a lot of the kind of core areas of our life things that are foundational to us, Lord, our marriage, our children, our possessions. And so whether we're married now, whether we're parents now, whether, whether we're single, Lord, and one day we'll be married, whatever our, our place in life right now, help us just to understand that Jesus is teaching this idea of discipleship in all areas, of following him, of being willing to sacrifice, of being willing to give up. Father, I pray just in the hearts of all these people right now, you would just open their eyes to this truth. Lord, maybe even reveal to them areas that they need to be willing to give up for the sake of the kingdom. Areas they need to forsake or do away with, things they need to change, Father. Just, just reveal to them how they can be more Christ-like, how they can live in holiness as you've called them to holiness. And then, Father, I pray you do great work in our people. I pray you do a great work in our hearts, Father, as we seek to love you with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. And we'll praise your name for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.